Um, it's good to see everybody again. Uh, since I was last with you, my wife and I haven't had any changes in our life. Um, you're laughing because you all know that my firstborn, my daughter, Sydney Joy, was born on August 7th at 7.19 a.m. And so, thank you. We, Lexi and I have both just been overjoyed at her arrival, and we're just so thankful for the gift that she is. And, you know, I really have already begin experiencing that fatherhood is probably the most life-changing thing that I've experienced. Um, and it is one of those things, I would also say, that is also, man, probably the most sanctifying thing already. And I'm like, man, can you just like slow down a little bit, God? I mean, can we ease into this? But uh, no, it's, it really is good. It just, it just is hard, you know, it exposes things in you that you either knew were there or didn't know were there, and, and all the while I, I see already that God is doing that because he loves me and he wants to change me. And so I'm thankful for that aspect of it um, too. But I do ask you to continue to pray for Lexi uh, and the baby. The baby is healthy, doing well. Just pray that she continues to grow and, and, and uh, you know, continues to be healthy. But um, the prayer for Lexi at this point is just pray that she can get some rest. I mean, a lot of you know firsthand that it is absolutely exhausting being a, a, a mom of a newborn, so I do uh, appreciate those prayers. Well, one of the, one of the things that, that I've r really been passionate about in my early days here of being a father is really praying for my daughter, praying for Sydney that she would come to know the Lord. Um, I pray daily that God in his mercy would save her soul, that she would come to place her faith in Christ, that the gospel would be um, something that she takes a hold of for herself, um, you know, preferably if it were up to me at an early age. And, and so that's kind of going to be one, I mean, that is, that is the focus of, of where we're going to be going today, is talking about the gospel. And, and in our modern culture, here in Dallas, I would say especially, um, being in the Bible Belt, we uh, like to talk about a lot of church things. We like to talk about a lot of uh, things that are related to the Bible, that are related to the Christian life. We love to debate music styles. Um, we love to talk about whether we should sing hymns or whether we should do praise songs. We, we like to talk about things that are more like, uh, you know, church structure issues should should you be elder-led or pastor-led or so on. There's debates about whether you should have Sunday school or small groups. People like to debate Calvinism versus Arminianism. They like to talk about, uh, you know, the end times and debate. Is, it, is Christ's return going to be before the millennium, in the middle of the millennium? Maybe there's no millennium, all this stuff. Um, being close to the seminary and, you know, being a seminary grad myself, it, it can become something that, all these, these matters can vie for your attention, and you can get sucked up into the details of these things. And now, none of those topics in and of themselves are a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to talk about the end times or debate all the ins and outs of salvation and church practice as far as worship or, you know, structure goes. That's not a bad thing to talk about. Unfortunately, I think what happens is we get 
caught up in these matters, and the problem is that they're peripheral matters. They're things that, while they are important, they're not central. They're not at the heart of the gospel. They're not at the heart of the Christian faith, of orthodox uh, beliefs. They aren't the main thing, is what I would, the way I would put it. And you probably heard this quote. I actually uh, had to research it because I've heard it so many times. I had to find out who had said it. But you've heard the quote, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, how many times can you say the main thing in a row? But that, that was actually a quote that Stephen Covey came up with. And it is helpful, you know, I, I believe. It, it's helpful to realize that in life, we have to have some, some things that are at the core, that are at the center, that kind of provide an anchor for us. And when it comes to Christianity, the main thing is the gospel. And we know that. But, it, but it's, it's important for us to remember that. And it's important for us to remind ourselves that. And so this morning I want to talk about what the gospel is. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, we will see the gospel clearly, succinctly defined for us. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip, flip to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. You can grab one off the back of the, the pew in front of you if you need it. And in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 15... Paul is teaching on the resurrection, and in verses 1 through 11, where we're going to be today, Paul teaches about Christ's own resurrection, and, and in that passage, he, he specifies the truth of the gospel, the, the, the basic fun, foundational truth of the gospel, the main thing. And so, I want to pray real quick before we read, and then after I pray, um, I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't know that I've asked you to do this since I've been here, but... What I want to do is I want to stand together as we read the word, just out of reverence for it, just so that we can focus our minds on it um, today. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be together today again, to be um, in your word, to, to look at these words of life that you've given us. I pray that you would guide our time, that you would use this uh, 30 minutes or so as long as I can stay focused, to uh, just, just speak to our hearts, to communicate who you are and what is true about you and, and, and about us because of your son. I pray that um, these words would be living water to us because Christ himself is the living water. I pray that you would um, just draw us closer to yourself through this time. I pray that you would help us to understand um, these things accurately, and that you would use them to, to minister to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's stand together as we read this. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. You could take a seat. So Paul starts out here, he says that he reminds, he says, now I would remind you. So he's reminding these Corinthian believers of something that they already knew. He's not teaching them something new, he's reminding them. And, he's, and, he, and, and it's important for us to see that because that is, I mean, that's really the whole basis for why I chose this text and why I think it's important for us to go over the gospel. Because even though we know it, we need to be reminded of it because we are likely to either forget it or to live as apart from it. And so that's, that's why I believe Paul reminded them. And, and it's partially a big, a big reason for them was that they were not believing in the resurrection at all, believing that they weren't going to be bodily resurrected. And so he reminds them of the gospel so that he can lay the groundwork for that. And it's important for us to, to remember it as well. And Paul says that he preached it to them. And then he adds, he says, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. I think it's important for us to notice what, he, what he's done there. He says that they received the gospel, pointing to the past. He says that they stand in it, in the presence, and that they are being saved by it, which talks about from where they are currently to the future. And so it's important for us to understand that the gospel is much more than our entry ticket into Christianity into a relationship with God is much more than just the way that we become a believer. It's also the basis of our relationship with God now, and it's the source of our hope for tomorrow and eternity. And so Paul is teaching us that the gospel is really at the beginning, middle, and end. It's always there. It's always the foundation. And then he gives this, this condition. He says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. You might read that, and at first, first read you'd say, is Paul teaching that you can lose your salvation? Is he saying that you could believe and then not believe? Like, what, what's going on here? Paul is not teaching that you can lose your salvation. What he is saying is that those who have true faith have faith that will endure. It may be battered, it may be imperfect, and it it is, but it will endure. The mark of true faith is that it does not fade, it does not run out, it stands. And in John 10, 27 through 29, Jesus himself teaches that believers, that, that we are his sheep and that we are held by both him and by his Father, by, by God the Father, and that nothing, no one is able to snatch them, to snatch us out of his hand. So we use the, the other parts of the scripture to help us when we come to a, a passage like this, where we know you can't lose your salvation. What happens if you, when he says, unless you believed in vain, believing in vain is somebody who likes the idea of the gospel, likes the idea maybe of being held fast by God, but their faith is not true. Their faith is not really in God. Otherwise, his grasp on them would be strong and they would endure. And so 
He's not teaching that you can lose your salvation. But look, at, look with me at verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So as of first importance, this is another way of saying the main thing. I delivered to you what was essential. What I also received. He makes it clear that this isn't something that he himself came up with, but something that was given to him. The gospel's not sourced in Paul. It was given to Paul and he received it and believed in it himself. But then he says, you know, and then he, so as of first importance, what, the main thing, what is that? Look at verse 4. Or sorry, look at the last part of verse 3. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now scholars believe that this was actually an early creed. Kind of like the, the, you know, the later Nicene Creed and Apostles' Creed, something that believers would recite and memorize so that they would know the core of the Christian faith. A lot of scholars believe that that's what Paul's doing, is citing a common creed. And I believe in this creed we see really that there are three main points of the gospel. And if you want to follow along, there is an outline on the back of the bulletin there. And, and the first part of the gospel message is that Christ died, that Christ died. And you notice Paul gives two, two other elements to, the, to Christ's death. He says it was for our sins and in accordance with the scriptures, for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So the Old Testament, the scriptures prophesied, they foretold of Christ's death. We had Seth read for us earlier Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. And in verses 4 and 5, I want to just read that again. It says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. So this was written hundreds of years before Christ was even born, walked the earth, and died and was raised. And so this is just one text that, that communicates to us that Christ's death was not something that just all of a sudden happened, but it was part of God's predetermined plan before he ever created the world. And the Old Testament spoke of it many years before so the first part of the gospel message, as, as we know, is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now look again at verse 4. It says, that he was buried. And that's the second part. So the first part, Christ died. The second part, Christ was buried. And so this is really important because it, it's actual uh, proof that Christ was dead. Some people, conspiracy theorists, have, have, have claimed that after being beaten and, and, and whipped and hung on the cross and a, side being uh, a, a spear being thrust in his side, that somehow after all of that, he didn't truly die. And so it's important for us to focus on this, this part of the gospel too, that he was buried because it shows that he was actually dead. They buried him because he had actually died. And, and in John's gospel, we find, we find out that a man named Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body. He's the one who had him prepared for burial and then placed in a tomb. As we know, they rolled a giant stone over that tomb 
and placed a guard, a, a, a Roman guard outside of it so that nobody could come and steal the body. And so it's important for us to, to recognize that Christ actually died and he was actually buried. It's not just some legend. These are, these are historical truths that have details, have eyewitnesses to them. And, and Paul will get into the, some of that a little bit later as far as the witnesses. So the second part is that Christ was buried. And then look back at, at verse 4. It says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that's the third and, and final part here of the gospel, is that Christ was also raised and in, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now the Old Testament, we read earlier of how it foretold of Christ's death, but it also foretold of Christ's resurrection. And you may, may think at first, well, what verses teach that? Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know which ones specifically teach that. Well, one of the ways we can understand the Old Testament, this is really, really helpful when you study the Bible. If you ever have trouble understanding an Old Testament passage, take the time to look and see if one of the New Testament writers also wrote about that Old Testament passage. See what they had to say about it. And a good example of this in, in regards to Old Testament prophecy of Christ's resurrection is Acts 13. If you look at verses 32 through 35 of Acts 13, Paul actually preached a sermon that Luke records, and in that sermon, he specifically teaches that Psalm 2-7, Isaiah 55-3, and Psalm 16-10 all were prophecies of Christ's resurrection. He applies those texts and says that they find their fulfillment. They were promises of God that found their fruition in Christ's resurrection. So regardless of how much the Old Testament saints understood the, what, what was going to happen as far as these prophecies were, were concerned, in their, day, in their own day, according to Paul, they were promises of God that found their fulfillment in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, these, everything we're talking about this morning, these, these three truths of the gospel, I know they're things that you've heard before. I hope they're things that you're very familiar with. So this is like a, just like Paul said, he was reminding them, I'm reminding you this morning of these things. But I have a reason why I want to go over these basics. And the reason why is I believe that you and I are prone to, to forget these things. And like I said before, we're prone to live life kind of with these not in mind, kind of over there, and we just kind of go about our business. And it's really important for us to remember each part of the gospel that Christ was, that he died, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected. I think that last one is really important because what happens is a lot of times we really do a good job of focusing on the cross and we get the, the fact that Christ was our sacrifice and that he paid the, the price for our sins. We, we understand that and we remember that. But then it's kind of like the resurrection is like just this little tack on, this little thing that, that kind of just gets lost in the details. It's like it, it, it's forgotten because the cross is so monumental. And I don't ever want to take away from the power of the cross. It's absolutely essential for our salvation. But if Christ didn't raise, we've got a dead, would-be Savior. We've got just another teacher who, like 
the likes of David Koresh and these other, you know, nuts just claimed to be someone and claimed to be from God and really weren't. And so it's really important that we, f- we remember all, all three parts of these. I mean, without Christ's death on the cross, the debt for our sin hasn't been paid. Without his burial, they haven't been carried far away, to the, as, the, as the Old Testament would say, to the bottom of the ocean floor, as far as the east is from the west. But without his resurrection, Christ isn't the Messiah. Without his resurrection, he didn't triumph over death, over sin, once and for all. Without the resurrection, we don't have confidence that God's wrath has been fully satisfied forever. Without the resurrection, we have a would-be Savior. I want to think it, to kind of challenge you to think of it this way. Um, we don't have one in here. This one up here is a four-legged stool, but you've all seen a three-legged stool before. And I think of it kind of in this way. What, what happens is if you view the gospel as, you know, Christ died, he was buried, and he was resurrected as legs on a stool, if you remove any one of those, do you have a stool anymore? No. A two-legged stool is a piece of trash that you just throw on the side and isn't really functioning. It's not doing anything. And that's what I believe about the gospel. A lot of us may believe and really focus on his death, but his resurrection is over here. And we wonder, we wonder why in our lives we, we, we don't experience power and we don't experience hope and we don't experience joy. And it's because we're not remembering that we have a Savior that has conquered sin and death and its consequences and is with us right now because he's alive. So it's really important that we focus on that part of the gospel too because if we don't, we don't think of Christ as with us. We just think of him as having paid for our sins on the cross and, and, and it kind of leaves him as this savior that did something for us 2,000 years ago but now I'm kind of left to myself for my daily life. And so in the resurrection, in the, in the truth that Christ is alive, that he's with me today, and that through his spirit, he is providing all I need for life and godliness. I have hope, and when I struggle, and when I have things that, you know, when doubt creeps in, and when fear gets a hold of me, and when I'm just ridden with anxiety, I can know that my Savior is with me, and that I can draw upon his strength. I can rest in his victory, and know that those sins that I'm struggling with, they don't have the final say, because he is alive. And I want to just turn back to the last, look, look back at the last uh, few verses and just talk about, so, you know, so Paul, he gives us the, the primary foundational elements of the gospel, and then he bolsters his case for Christ's resurrection by stating some witnesses. And I just want to look at this real quick. It says, And that he appeared to Cephas, this is verse 5, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still asleep, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul Paul says here, I'll just list them here. He said that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter. He appeared to the 12 disciples. He appeared to more than 500 believers at one time. 
And then he appeared to James, which was his own brother, who didn't believe in him during his earthly life, but as a result of his resurrection uh, appearance, you know, when he came and revealed himself to his brother James, his brother James became a believer, became a pastor, and wrote the book of James. And so that's who he's talking about there. And then he also appeared to all the apostles. And Paul, Paul, of course, himself was an apostle, and so he finishes the list saying, and he also appeared to me. So when we read in Acts of, Christ, of, of Paul's encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul didn't just have a vision. He wasn't having some, you know, ate a funky taco and had a, had a, a crazy dream. He had an, a real-life encounter with the living, resurrected Christ. And that was his grounds for being an apostle, because in order to be an apostle, you had to have seen the resurrected Christ. So Paul goes on and he says he considers himself the least of the apostles because, and he cites this reason, because he had persecuted the church prior to following Christ. You know, even though he had done that, God had something else in mind. He wanted Paul to be his chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the reason why, I believe, is because he wanted to get the glory. He wanted to say, look at this guy. This guy that was there who was encouraging the stoning of Stephen, who was taking Christians and throwing them into jail. Now he's changed. He's been transformed by the gospel. And so Paul, Paul was chosen by God because God could get the glory for that. It was very evident that it wasn't Paul that was awesome. It was God that was at work. But when you think about it, how in the world, if you're Paul and you had spent your past attacking, persecuting, and just completely making, making life miserable and difficult for the church, how would you go from that to being somebody who's planning churches and preaching the gospel? Look at verse 10. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then further down, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul understood that the grace of the gospel didn't just take care of his past. It gave him a foundation for life, for the present, and a hope for the future. He was able to serve God. He was able to plant churches. He was able to preach the gospel confidently and freely because he knew that no matter what his past was, it was taken care of because of, of Christ and because of his death and resurrection. So Paul teaches us here the main thing of the gospel, that Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. And he gives us all of these witnesses. What about us? Where, does, where do we come into play here? What about you? And this is where I think we really need to take, take the time to kind of just hit the pause button and really take, take a second to examine our own hearts and examine ourselves. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that you are a sinner and that Christ died for you so that you could be forgiven and accepted by God? Do you believe that Christ was buried? Do you believe that he was raised on the third day and that he is alive today? 
What I believe this text calls us to do is this. I believe it calls us to believe and build our lives on the gospel. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Believe and build your life on the gospel. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, you and I, we desperately need Jesus. We desperately need him. We don't need church. We don't need religion. We don't need morality. We need the risen, living, reigning Son of God, Jesus Christ. Will you trust him today? If you've never done that, will you place your trust in him today? And if you have done that, notice I said believe and build your life on the gospel. I'm convinced that there are many, many, many people who can point back to a day when they placed their faith in Christ, but they lived their life as if the gospel is in another galaxy. Like it has no bearing on themselves. They don't have their identity rooted in Christ. They don't have their finances rooted in the fact that everything we have is, comes from God and it's a blessing to be used for building his kingdom. They don't, we, they don't view their family. They don't view raising their kids as part of God's plan for the gospel to go forth and for their children to be people who stand in awe of the beauty of the Savior. We have to believe and build our lives on the gospel. See, the gospel is not just some intellectual truth. It's not just some tenet of the faith that we raise our hand and you know, check a box next to as, oh, I believe that. It's more than that. It is a complete change of, of mind and a, and a complete change of viewing life. It is a radically different way to view everything. And so I want to challenge this in three ways today. I think these are, these are ways that you can begin or, or continue to build your life on the gospel. First of all, I challenge you to keep the gospel on your mind. Keep the gospel on your mind. And how do you do that? I believe there are three things that you can do to keep the gospel on your mind. First of all, point your mind to the gospel. Point your mind to it. Think about it often. Set your mind on Christ and who he is, what he's done. Secondly, Ponder the gospel. Ponder it. Meditate on it at length. Wrestle with it. Make it something that you don't view as, oh, I already know that. I, you know, there's not much more to learn there. Don't approach it that way, but think of it as a deep, deep well of life, of truth that is a gift that God has given you to sustain you every day of your life. Meditate on it. Wrestle with it. Study it. Feast on it mentally. And thirdly, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach it to yourself. When you're down, when you're discouraged, when you have dropped the ball and you feel like there's no way that God could be even remotely happy with you, preach it to yourself. Remember that because of who Jesus is, because of the fact that he took your shame, your guilt on himself and carried it to the cross, and rose, defeating it 
once and for all, you're not bound, you're not defined, you're not identified by your sin. I think the words of the, the great song, It Is Well With My Soul, are helpful. Because of Christ, our sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. When you're disappointed in yourself, when you've just treated your wife, your husband, your kid, your friend, in a way that you are so ashamed of. Remember that you're not defined by that. That is not how God sees you. Keep the gospel on your mind. Secondly, keep the gospel on your heart. Keep the gospel on your heart. Ask the Lord to stir your affections for Christ, and I challenge you, do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to relish in and rejoice in the gospel. Take the time out of our busy, busy lives, I know we're all busy, but take the time to really be with Jesus and to let him speak to you and to comfort you in your heart. Bring your cares and your concerns to him so that you can find rest in him through the gospel. Tune your heart to his great love. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm guessing there's at least a few of us that are probably in this camp. Um, when I get out in nature and go somewhere really, really pretty, that's a way for my heart to be flooded with who God is and, and his love for me. It's a way for me for the, for the gospel really to become something that's not just up here, but is just kind of in my soul. And so here in Dallas, there's not a lot of great opportunities for that. I heard uh, one speaker at DTS Chapel referred to us as topographically challenged. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if, if, it, if we lived closer, I would just say go to Colorado and go stand in the Rockies and Pretty sure, uh, you know, eventually your heart's going get, to get caught up in, in, in God and his majestic nature and, and, and his um, beauty. But maybe, you know, it, it requires a, a trip down to Austin or a trip, you know, on the outskirts of town to some place where you can just be alone and, and, and really focus on who God is. But do whatever it takes to keep the gospel on your heart. And I've got one final one before we go. Finally... Keep the gospel on your lips, on your lips. I think this is the most challenging one for us, and that's why I waited to, to share it last. But I don't know if you've noticed, part of our enjoyment of things is in talking about them. Anything that we treasure in this life, we talk about. Listen to, listen to people, I mean, just talk to a grandma. She never stops talking about her grandkids. I mean, people who are passionate about a certain sport, they never stop talking about it. Talk about the gospel. Keep it on your lips. It's one of the ways that we can begin to treasure it more. Talk about it when we're with other believers. Share about what God is doing in your life, how the gospel is changing you. Teach it to your kids. Talk about it around the dinner table. Remind your husband, remind your wife, of the beauty of the gospel when they are down. Rejoice in it whenever God blesses you with, with any type of gift that he gives. And then finally, share it. Preach it. Proclaim it. Share it with a coworker when you're in the break room. Talk about it to another mom when you're on a play date at the park. 
Share it with the new person that you met while working out at the gym. Don't be afraid to actually verbally talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We will talk about everything else under the sun, where we go to church, how good the music is, but we are so afraid to talk about the gospel. Let's not do that. Let's be so full of just absolute wonder and thankfulness, just gratitude for who God is, what he's done, that it is on our lips as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words in 1 Corinthians. Thank you, most of all, God, that you have done what only you could do, and that is pay for our sins through the death of your son, through his sacrifice on the cross in our place. And we thank you that he is not dead, that he was raised on the third day, and that he is alive, and that in him we have life for today, we have hope for tomorrow. Help us to live in light of the resurrection. Help us to live with the gospel at the center of who we are. And help us to proclaim it, Lord. Help us not to be afraid of sharing this. This is the most beautiful, glorious news in all of, all of existence. Help us, Lord, to drink it in, but also to, to pour it out with our lives, with the way that we talk. We need your help in this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.